0: how excited I was.
1: That's awesome. No no other business going on all, no parties, nothing like that. No, no,
0: I don't yeah, I don't even drink, man. So. No
1: alcohol will be consumed on this trip at all. So Jacobs, <laughs> not even a little bit.
0: I'm all business, man. That's right. Um all right, so welcome on. So for anyone out there that doesn't know who you are, tell us a little bit about yourself, Jerry.
1: So my name is Jerry Jacobs. Um, I'm a country rock singer-songwriter, originally from Charleston, South Carolina. Living in Nashville, Tennessee, I've been here about five years, Um, actually exactly five years this week, and uh, basically I write and play music for a living, Um, we tour all over the country, and um, as an independent kind of country rock band now, and and are able to do that full time, we're very fortunate to do so. Um, Yeah, we put out music and and tour around, and Jake and I met at at Ten Roof Memphis, actually, when um, he was managing that bar, we used to play it there all the time. Like and, uh, two years ago, right? Yeah. Maybe even longer than that, man.
0: It's two thousand sixteen. Yeah, I think it was. So yeah, going on three years.
1: Yeah, it's been a long time since we've been over there. But um but yeah, man. So basically I'm just, you know, we do music full time and trying to figure out what it takes to make the next step or get to the next level.
0: Hell yeah. Now you guys are playing, I mean, you guys play so many shows, you know, where what's the sort of the width of the shows that you play. Cause I know you guys play a lot of Broadway spots, correct?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we kind of, uh, when I first moved to Nashville, that was like the most successful way to start playing music and make money. And it's still a great way to do so. Um, and it's a great way to, to make money in town and be able to be in Nashville and be around, um, be around the industry here and be able to write during the day and play at night. And that's, that's been really beneficial. Um, and so we've kept Broadway going. Sometimes it gets a, a bad rap and, um, I don't really know why it's it's a great way to, to have roots on the ground here and uh and, and keep relationships up with, with bars and and keep your chops up and uh but yeah so we kept playing we've been playing Broadway about five years now um, and in between we've been doing uh, touring touring pretty heavily the last three years pretty much every weekend and a lot of weeks in between we were I mean we were all over the country playing uh tin roofs and playing all kinds of venues pretty much anywhere that would let us play over the last four years we played. Um, and trying to build our build our business and build our fan base up, um, and kind of build a career out of that, and maybe take try to take that to the next level. So the Broadway stuff, we're still doing it right now. We're playing like five Broadway shows a week. Um wow. Because the whole month of January, we're pretty much in town, just trying to get the year started, get some stuff written, work on some uh, management deal stuff, and some some you know building of my my team around me. We're gonna be doing some of that in January. So trying to try to be here, so it's exciting. But, yeah, man, it's exciting, exciting. But it's it's been fun to play such a wide variety of shows because Broadway stuff for you guys not familiar out there. Um, Broadway's a big strip of bars in Nashville, Tennessee. Where there's like 150 bars within two blocks, and every bar has a band playing. Every like from 10 a.m. to 2 a.m. There's bands playing all the time, and there's so many bands playing at one time. It's super competitive and super awesome if you're a bar patron or a consumer of music because you get to see all kinds of different entertainment. For free, there's never a cover charge. But the trade-off is the bands have to play for four hours at a time with no breaks. And a lot of the times the bands are working for tips and only making like a little bit of money from the bar. So that can make it kind of hard. Um, Once you get established, you can kind of negotiate some of that out. Um, But it it can be a tough grind, it really can be. Um, But you gotta make the best out of it, Um, like any situation. Try to find room for advancement, try to find things that make you unique and things that make you um, different than every other band that are right next to you. There's literally 100 bands you're competing with at a time. It's kind of like the gauntlet for bands in, in a national, so.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's such an interesting vibe. You know, I worked on Beale Street in Memphis uh, for seven months, which is another really famous music street. You know, even having been there for over half a year and then being on Broadway in Nashville multiple times, and the difference is like night and day. I've never seen a culture like Broadway.
1: For sure, for sure, it's definitely its own unique subculture. I mean, there's Facebook groups and stuff that are just Broadway musicians, and it's kind of interesting to see, you know, how that works. There's people that make an entire, a lot of people that make an entire full-time living just playing Broadway, and they do it for a long time. I mean, it's it's relatively sustainable for, you know, a ten to twenty-year period if that's all you want to do. Um, a lot of people, the goal is to to do something bigger than that and not have to play four-hour cover gigs all the time. But it's it's really not bad. It's a not a bad way to get started and not a bad way to sustain yourself before you have a record deal or, I mean, you can have, I've known guys that have publishing deals that are still playing down there. Um, but yeah, it's a crazy culture and it's, it's really cool. I think the consumer really wins the bar patron wins because like I said, there's, I mean, on a Saturday night, probably no exaggeration, a hundred bands playing at all times. Mm. Um, and it just raises the level of competition and talent and, you just have to be on your game, otherwise someone will go see the band that's on the next floor of the same bar you're on. You know, you're competing with, you know, people working at the same bar as you. It's crazy. Um, so I think you get to see a lot of unique stuff, and you get to see um, a lot of really high quality um, showmanship and, and talent if you're in the right place. And if you if you don't see that, you can go to the next bar. So that's what's really cool about it.
0: Yeah, it's humongously competitive. It's insane. I mean, yeah, like you said, a hundred different bands all within such a small radius. Mm-hmm. You know, one band plays one song that you're not totally jazzed on. It's like, see you later. Mm-hmm. But there must be something to be said because I've noticed and I've worked in multiple cities, ran bars in multiple cities and traveled to even more cities. The patrons at in Nashville, especially on Broadway, are just so fucking stoked. Yeah, for sure. I mean, they're so
1: jazzed to be there. For sure. And that helps too. And like most of the time they're just, they're so receptive to, to to what you're doing. It's kind of like, it's kind of like Vegas. Like when you get down there and you see all the bright lights and you see the strip and you're like, Oh, I'm ready to go. Let's do this. It's kind of got a similar, definitely smaller, obviously like a smaller town feel to it. But when you get on Broadway and you turn down and you're coming down the hill from the interstate and you just come down and you see all the lights, it's like, there's like a moment there that like, you know, you can't replicate because it's just the way the city was built on a hill. When you come into Broadway on a hill and you just see – you just get immersed in, like, this, like, honky-tonk street that's, like, got this energy to it. And, yeah, I think that's what creates that. Everybody's just excited to be there and party, and it's a nonstop party. I mean, that's why people love Nashville, so.
0: Yeah, Nashville's insane. I remember when I heard the statistic that there are more bachelorette parties that go to Nashville than Vegas. I think that was, like, two years ago.
1: Yeah, it's it's right there. They're one and two. Um Vegas and Nashville, and I can see why. I mean, like I said, unlimited amounts of entertainment all day, every day. Um, it's really, I mean, it's an adult city. It's not a great place to vacation with kids. I don't, I wouldn't think. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a great place.
0: Yeah, I think the first time I came down was 2014, and I've been here so, so many times that you know at some point it sort of loses its mm-hmm. that initial luster that it has. Mm-hmm. And I get reminded of it every time I bring someone uh, from out of town. For sure. Or I meet, you know, I come down with my brother, you know, someone coming to visit or a friend. And they get down to Broadway and they I kind of kind of see their eyes light up. Mm-hmm. And I sort of remember, well, yeah, I remember when I first got here. You For know, sure. I was, I was sort of blown away by it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I was too. When I first came to Nashville, it was before I actually lived here. Um, I was doing an internship here at uh, Big Christian Radio Station uh, down in Franklin, which is like 20 minutes outside of Nashville, for those of you unfamiliar. Um, did an internship, I'd never been before, it was between my sophomore and junior year of college, and I just like put all my stuff in my Saturn SUV, drove up here and drove straight down to Broadway, um, I checked in my Airbnb the next day, but drove straight down to Broadway and uh, parked off of Broadway, which is looking at my GPS how to get to Tootsie's, um, had my guitar on my back and just went down um, went down to Broadway and was like immersed in it and was like oh my gosh what is this there's bands playing everywhere there's music all the time this is awesome and uh, just plopped down on the street corner didn't have a gig or anything and started playing on the street corner and so like it's fun to like have that as my start on Broadway because that's the mm-hmm. first thing I ever saw in Nashville was Broadway and sat down there for like two months playing on the street corner until I got invited to play indoors which was a big step which was awesome but, uh, <laughs> but that was I, when I entered Nashville I was like I, as soon as I remember stepping foot on Broadway and was saying, it's like, oh, okay, this is where I'm going to live for the rest of my life. i was like, oh, this is it. Got it. Okay. Like, I knew immediately. And, and here we are. It's been, that, was like, that was like seven years ago, but been here, living, living here full time
0: for five years. So. That so quite nice. honestly sounds like something out of a movie or a TV show, you know? <laughs> Hopefully, we will be one day. I don't this, know. <laughs> this kid just, you know, walking down with a guitar on his back, eyes light. like, I wish there was a photographer there at that time to capture that.
1: I couldn't afford it on my uh, college budget, though. I remember that first night I made like twenty bucks in tips on on in like two hours, which is not great. But uh, playing on the street corner, and I was able to like buy myself dinner at Broadway Brew House on Broadway after I got done playing, and I was like, "This is awesome! I'm down for this. I'll come play for free dinner every night." But now um, that I know that, I would not do that every night for a free dinner because that will not pay rent. <laughs>
0: yeah, food's good, but uh, yeah. having a place to live is. Good in its own sense. So, you know, we'll talk about a variety of topics. But um, you know, obviously, this podcast is pretty bar-centric. So, you are obviously someone who plays in bars. But would you consider yourself a uh, frequent bar goer?
1: Yeah, I think so. Um, even a uh, you know, before I played in bars, obviously, bars are like a great place to to be social, and it's like kind of the social in our culture. It's like one of the social social centers. It's like where people go to hang out. I don't know what it is about alcohol that unites people but for some reason it does and uh yeah I definitely say I'm a I'm a bar patron and by necessity now I'm in bars six nights a week
0: <laughs> has playing in bars sort of changed your perspective on being in them because I know for when I you know I went to bars forever and then once I started running bars mm-hmm. it changed my entire perspective on everything from the chair that I'm sitting into my interaction with
1: the bartender yeah, for sure. It's definitely changed my perspective. Um, kind of like anything when you're on the outside and you get in the inside and kind of peels back the curtain and you can kind of see what goes behind some of the magic of it or or what works and what doesn't work and what, what people are doing well and what some people aren't doing well. And uh, from like the music to the service to the management to, you know, the way they run their lights and sounds at production, their, you know, what people see when they walk in. You know how people are greeted, all kinds of stuff like that, and I've definitely noticed a difference. And honestly, it's a pretty direct correlation between the success of the bar. Usually, um, if they're if they're run well and they're they're minding their p's and q's and that kind of stuff, it, it's it's typically the ones that are that are doing well. Um, so it's kind of cool. It's I really like things where you can like you can get better and you can there's room for you know improvement. I like acquiring skills and and getting better at stuff. So it's fun to see like walk into bars and and see things that people can improve or walk into even more fun walking into bars and, and venues that are, like, are kicking ass and doing a great job and being like, oh, my gosh, I want to take this with me wherever I'm going or, like, take these things they're doing um, to the next place and use that to, to grow my business. So, for sure, it's definitely changing my perspective.
0: Do you often find yourself focusing on whatever the talent is on stage more than anything?
1: Um, I do. I do. Um, and I've got a production background, too. So, like, the lighting and the sound is a big thing for me, too, because that's, like, a like a subconscious thing for most people and um and i kind of obsess over it but that's whole part of the experience that the patron gets when are immersed in the talent um the way the talent is presented like what the stage looks like um what the lighting looks like what the sound if it sounds good if they've the venue has made that a priority um and if the venue has made that a priority like i automatically like i'm like okay this is a cool place like respect it more um and that's not everyone's vibe but um i'm definitely like the talent and the way the talent is presented is huge to me
0: for sure yeah, when you come up to St. Louis and you play at my spot, uh, I don't know if you know this, but you are the only musician that brings their own lights. Oh, I didn't know that. I mean, we have lights, and I think we have a pretty good setup. Oh, yeah. Um, but, yeah, those what are those lights called? The pole lights that you have? Oh, yeah, the bar
1: lights. Yeah, those are… Um, game changers. Yeah, dude. those are awesome, man. They're like, yeah, for those you listening, I've got these four. Um, I think the ProLine LED bars that, that sit behind us and kind of provide backlight for the band, um, and that's kind of been our signature look, um, and we take them everywhere we go, pretty much, um, for the most part, but 10 St. Louis is one of the venues that does a really good job um, with the way they present talent, because if we, if we didn't bring that stuff, it would still look awesome. Y'all's lighting rig and sound rig is, you know, is, is top-notch, and it's, uh, it's definitely been made a priority to, to make it look professional and make it look interactive and engaging, which is a big deal. And I think that's, um, you know, that's obviously not the reason why you guys have been successful, but it's probably helped out because when people go there um, and you see a band up on stage, on a nice stage, a a, a, you know, a reasonably sized stage that's that's tall and is well-maintained and has nice equipment and it sounds good and it looks like a a rock show. You feel like you're at a show. Um, You automatically are in that mindset of, Oh, I wanna have fun. This is like a night out. It's not like you're not sitting at a at a dive bar, just like another local average place. It, it kind of like we were talking about on Broadway, where you get immersed in this experience of the lights and the sounds and the energy of it. It's the same thing walking into a bar. If you walk in, there's that kind of energy, like you're automatically predispositioned to to want to party or want to spend money there or stay there longer, which is all went through the bar. So
0: Yeah, absolutely. And when I describe this to people it's almost the kind of thing that you don't notice until it's sort of not
1: there exactly
0: you know cuz you won't be in a bar you know if someone comes to tin roof st louis and you're playing they're not going to say this is such a dope experience specifically because of this yeah yeah or if you didn't have it they wouldn't say this isn't as good as it could be because they don't have this yeah it's all sort of this and we describe it with our company just as vibe Mm -hmm. You know, we always talk about vibe and I coach people on vibe Mm -hmm. and, you know, some people don't fully understand it, but it's just that overall encompassing experience from what's on the TVs to the specific song that you're playing Mm -hmm. to the outfit that you're wearing to to every little minute detail is just this cumulative effect. It's like an onion and it's just layer upon layer upon layer. And then at the end, if you do
1: a really good job of it you have a great product. For sure. And you have a good business. For sure. I definitely agree. It's like a subconscious. It's definitely subconscious. It's like the difference between people walking in and saying, oh, this is a cool place. Oh, this is cool. This is, I mean, you- I mean I'm mean, i sure you guys relate to that. Like you walk into a bar or a restaurant or a shop or anything or someone's house and you're like, oh, this is cool. Like you don't know why. You don't necessarily, if you thought about it, maybe you could figure it out and you could, you could put it out. But you're just like, oh, this is this is cool. You know, you just have that, that feeling that, this is a place that I want to spend more time in or that I want to hang out or this is a cool vibe, exactly. And uh, I think that all the little details go into that. And I'm into the details of that. Like, I'm obsessed about it. And uh, and that's what I think is like, that's why we bring our own lights because I didn't want there to be a situation to where we weren't presented, you know, I don't want to be stuck in a situation where I don't feel like we're being presented in a way that people are going to think, oh, this is cool or this is engaging or this is somewhere I want to hang out. And, uh, you know, we don't know at this point in our career, we don't know where we're going to be playing, we don't know what we're walking into all the time necessarily, and so it helps to have some of that consistency to where we know we're going to have a cool looking lighting rig everywhere because we have it with us. Um, same thing with our sound, like, not a lot of bands um, at our level tour with their own like in-ear monitor mixing and, and stuff like that, which for those who are listening, um, that's just basically a system for the band to be able to hear what they're playing, um, which traditionally was stage monitors, but you never know what you're going to get at different venue so we're just trying to 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 perfect all those little details of our show. so that when you walk into the show, um, you do have that vibe. Like, this is cool. This is like, this is good. I don't necessarily know why, but it's good. It's kind of like cooking, you know. Like mm. when you eat like a cake, you're not like, man, this flour was really high quality. You know, it's or an man, awesome analogy. Yeah, I'm glad. I'm glad that, I mean, I'm glad they used the right amount of sugar here. You know, you're just like, nope, this is good cake, and then. If you talk about it, oh yeah, it's because they used like really high quality flour or they really know what they're doing in the cooking, or they had this right, or cooked it for the right amount of time. You don't think of any that. You don't buy a piece of cake and be like, oh, well, this is cooked at 375 for the right amount of time, you know. So that's kind of what I would compare it to.
0: Yeah, that's a that's a really good perspective. I almost think of it sort of bouncing off of that when you see a really attractive person mm-hmm. and just instantly you're like, they're extremely attractive. Mm-hmm. And then if you Look at them and stare at them without, you know, being a creepy, being as minimally creepy as possible, which for me is still a maximum amount of creepiness. You know, then you start noticing, all right, well, they have really nice eyes. Yeah. Or their jawline is, you know, whatever it may be. You know, you start, if you really focus on it, mm-hmm. then you start picking it out. For sure. I'll be at work and I'll just take a second. And I'll just stop and just look Mm -hmm. and kind of listen and feel. And there are times where something's off Mm -hmm. and I can feel something's off, but I can't pinpoint Mm -hmm. it. But there's so many things, and I'll just sit there. And one of my crew members will come up to ask me a question, and I'll say, Just give me a minute. And I'll just be looking and listening and feeling. And then I'll go, Boom, that light is out in that far corner Mm -hmm. over there. But I couldn't. I didn't just walk in and say, hey, that light's out. Mm-hmm. I had to sit there and really break it down. For sure. Because that's my job. For right? sure. It's my job to sort of take care of these things that people might not notice, mm-hmm. but I don't want them to notice. I don't mm-hmm. want someone to say, hey, that light is o- out over there mm-hmm. or this music's too loud. You know, I want to get there, you know, a couple seconds before them, a couple minutes before them so that I can sort of perfect it as close as possible.
1: Exactly. Yeah, I definitely, yeah, I definitely relate really- with that. With my, With uh, my business and what we do, I'm the same way. Like I want every detail to be to be perfect, so that when people, not so that people come to the show and think like, oh, this is a really cool lighting rig, or oh, wow, they sound really good, or this is a really good set list. I just want them to think this is good, this is entertaining, this is pleasing to me. I don't know why, but I like it. That's what I want. You know, I don't necessarily like want people to be like, oh, these lights are awesome, or Mm. the sound is great. You know, it's it's more important to me. I like it to be like a magic show. You know, like. Mm don't want them to see behind the curtain like yeah there's some trickery involved and there's some like there's some you know stuff behind the scenes that's that takes a lot of work and it's not necessarily stuff that's super fun to do um and it can be really stressful but when it's showtime i want people just to enjoy the show and like and think that it's just it's just natural and this is like just how it happens you know and like that's why i like like on our stages and stuff like we like to keep a really clean stage and like to have very few cables or cords like i want everything to be wireless if possible so people aren't thinking like oh, I mean, there's cords, what are these chords? what is this, what is this, like, I don't want, I want it to be like a distraction-free environment for people to be able to, you know, have fun and enjoy themselves, and that's kind of like my vision, that's always my vision as a production director, because I used to do production directing too, and I just wanted it to be, we used to be doing churches, and the churchy, churches, it was, I want a distraction-free environment for people to be able to, you know, worship or whatever they're going to do, in bars, I want a distraction-free environment for people to be able to have a good time and socialize, and, and buy drinks and and you know have experiences that they're going to remember. So,
0: and I love, I love the ownership aspect of your shows. You know, you're talking about you doing, you know, bringing your lights and putting all this work in. You know, overall, just in my experience of in life and leadership and everything I've done, I've noticed. You know, it's oftentimes so, it's so easy to just. Put the ownership on someone else. Mm-hmm. You know, you could say, yeah, that bar doesn't have the best lights. That's why the show wasn't as it could have been. Mm-hmm. You know, that ownership I've noticed is something that really sets people apart. Yeah, You know, the people that are truly successful are the ones that take ownership of everything. For sure. And I learned this and I, it's something I'm still working on on a day-to-day basis. You know, that ownership. Mm-hmm. But I, I it might have been from a book. I can't remember what it was, but it, it pretty much went. I take ownership of everything in my life because I don't want to give anyone else the power over exactly. my success. Exactly. Right, but it's easy to give some of the power because mm-hmm. then you have you have an excuse. For sure. I'm not successful because of this. Exactly. But when you're able to take ownership of everything, for instance, if one of my crew members makes a mistake, mm-hmm. I try to be of the mindset, and I you know there are times that I fail. I try to be of the mindset. I didn't give them the right tools mm-hmm. to not make that mistake. Mm-hmm. Or I didn't train them up to the level where they are in a position where they're making as you know as few mistakes as possible. Sure. Now, you're never going to be perfect, but I try my best to have that mindset. Because if my business isn't going the way that I need it to, mm-hmm. I don't want anyone to be able to say it's because of them or yeah. them or them. It's me. Mm -hmm. It's, it's me. And that mentality gives you this phenomenal amount of power. Absolutely. And you, if you can take the hits and you can take the successes, the failures, everything in between and say, it's on me, it's on me, it's on me, I'm responsible for it. Mm -hmm. I mean, I've found that to be a game changer in my life.
1: Absolutely. Me too, dude. That's like one of my, that's one of my biggest, funny, I was going to bring that up, even if you didn't, like, that's one of my big like motto is just like I think uh, it's like actually a guy named Grant Cardone. Um, it's like this sales. Love Grant Cardone. You Grant Cardone yeah. fan? Dude, he's Absolutely, a dude. I'm like a big Grant Cardone fan. So I listen to like all of his audiobooks and stuff. I've been through a lot of them. That's one of his things I like live by is like you can't control anything that you don't take responsibility for. You know, like if you don't take responsibility for steering the ship, you can't control where it goes. And that means like for the mistakes and for the bad times too. And like same thing, like we have a rough night, a rough show. Yeah, maybe the sound was bad. Or maybe that it was just the winner and there was no one on the street. But there were things that we could have done. Like if you take responsibility for that, even if it technically wasn't necessarily your fault, if you take responsibility for it, that's the way you improve. And that's the way that you become prolific. And I think I'm not yet, but <laughs> hopefully, but that's the way I believe that you you can be the most successful, is that if you try to if you try to take responsibility for every aspect of your business you can improve those aspects and figure out it helps you like troubleshoot what's going on. You know, maybe maybe like the sound was rough that show, but maybe we could have done a better job of advancing the show. And maybe instead of just showing up, I could have called the sound guy before the show or sent him an email with our with our list of instruments and stuff so that he would be more prepared. And maybe that would have helped, you know? And, you know, there's other things maybe I could control. But if you if you take responsibility for your shit and you're part of it, I mean that's definitely, I think the way to get better and the way to be to set yourself apart from other people. Cause not everyone does that. And so out there, listen to Grant Cardone, go listen to him and stuff. It's awesome.
0: <laughs> Dude, him, Gary V. Gary yeah. V is a great guy when it comes to that. Um, yeah, it's, it's one thing that I learned from a book called the subtle art of not giving a fuck.
1: Yeah, I've heard of that.
0: It's a phenomenal book. It sort of started a trend, with books where they put curse words in the title to try to get it out there, because mm. after I read that book, I started noticing "You Are a Badass," "Yeah, How to Unfuck Yourself," <laughs> and it's like, and I gave them, I read them, and or I attempted to read them, and I could just tell it, was, it, it just was trying to be that. Mm. To my my opinion, some people might love those books; they might have been able to pull things out of them. I was unable to, mm. but to me, it felt like they're really trying to use that as a jump. For sure, oh, it's you know, it, oh, it's, it's edgy. Yeah, well, this is gonna be this cutting
1: edge stuff. There's a curse word in the title.
0: But yeah. the subtle art of not giving the fuck, and my uh, my best friend, more like a brother, recommended it to me. One thing that the author talks about is the difference between responsibility and fault. Mm-hmm. And I, I know this is like going so <laughs> we've gone sort of off the rails. But oh yeah. we'll just, Oops,
1: sorry about that. <laughs> we'll just keep
0: it rolling. But you know, he talks about responsibility and fault, and knowing the difference between those mm-hmm. is, is very important mm-hmm. because you're not always at fault mm-hmm. for everything, but you're always responsible. Mm-hmm. You know, for instance, if right now I were to grab something and hit you over the head with mm-hmm. it, it's not your fault that mm-hmm. I you know, just hit you over the head with a with a fucking vase. Yeah. But you are now responsible. Mm-hmm. You are responsible for what you do next. Mm-hmm. You're responsible. You know, are you going to fight back? Are you going to call the cops? What are you going to do? Mm-hmm. And, staying out of that what's not my fault Mm -hmm. mentality for sure i found it in in my life has been very beneficial because if i can realize even though something isn't my fault but i'm still responsible for it Mm -hmm. that has helped me you know as you're saying all right well now i'm taking charge i'm responsible so kind of gives you that power that ownership for sure there you're then able to steer your own ship
1: Mm -hmm. for sure and i think that like i can't think of any many problems or times in my life where I've solved a problem by saying, Oh, this isn't my fault. You know, I've never like done anything productive after saying, oh, this isn't my fault. Like I've never made any big advances in my career after not taking responsibility for something or passing the buck on to someone else or passing the blame. But yeah, you're exactly right. Like there's stuff that happens that you can't control but you do control what you do next. Your next step, you know, the next move is yours. Absolutely. So overall,
0: you know, we talked about Broadway and talked about sort of ownership and everything like that i mean what is the what is the feeling of playing music professionally i mean you are you're living a dream many people's dreams you are living what i mean what is that like
1: yeah man it's uh it's just like anything i'm very very fortunate to to be doing it and it is absolutely dream come true if you would have asked me when i was six years old what i would be doing at 28 it would be something or 27 it'd be something very similar to this or maybe this exact thing um except when i was six i thought i would be you know, world famous by age eight, but you know, here we are still working on it. But, uh, but man, it's an incredible feeling. Um, it, it's, it's awesome to be able to, uh, cause I've been wanting to be a singer since I was like five years old. Like I went to, or six years old, five, I don't remember, five years old. Went to my first shooting Blowfish concert, um, from Charleston there too. So I was like, dad, that's what I want to do. And he's like, okay. the Blowfish, was that your first yeah, concert? Yeah. Uh huh. That's a killer first concert. Yeah. Yeah. In Charleston, they're from Charleston. So it's like, it was like, the the stars aligned in 1996 when they were huge so um I was like this is what I want to do and uh and that's what I wanted to do ever since and so it's cool to look back now and say like cool I'm like I'm at least on the way to doing it and I'm I'm making a living doing it and I have for a while which is which is really fortunate um but like anything it has its struggles and it has its ups and downs and it it, you know it could become a job um and it could become a lot like you you know you know a lot like a monotonous job if you if you let yourself get there. It's easy to, um, but uh, but it's it's really amazing to be able to have that um, that feeling that there's no ceiling on what you can do. I mean, there's really you you can be as big as you want to be. I mean, practically, if you want to put in the work and you really put in the effort and you take responsibility for things, I mean, you can make it happen um, to yourself if you've got the right you know right mindset and uh and, and you know just a, a okay amount of talent you can work with you can get better at stuff um I wasn't always like I wasn't always a a good singer I mean I was like okay like as a kid and it took a lot of work to get to the point where I could sing five four hour shows a week I mean it took a lot of work to get there it took a lot of work to get to the point where people wanted to listen to me sing at all um and that was just dedication knowing that's what I wanted to do and and now it's cool to have that feeling where you know you feel like you're you're kind of onto something or, or on the way, but there's days where it's, you don't feel like that, you know? There's days where I feel like, you know, I'm, I'm totally messing up. I'm, I'm on the wrong path here. Like, I need to be doing this, this, and this to be advancing my career instead of what I'm doing now. Um, So it's just like anything where there's, there's struggles and, and frustrations, but I think the most beautiful part about it is, is being able to wake up every day and knowing that, like, that this is, I'm not missing out on anything. Like, this is what I... I'm meant to be doing and I wouldn't rather be doing anything else. I think that's the best part of it um, more than, more than, uh, you know, the, the satisfaction of people liking the show or playing in front of a lot of people. I think the best part is knowing that like, yeah, this is, I'm giving this my all. Like I'm giving, uh, I'm I'm trying my best at something that like I love and that's always been my dream. I think that's the coolest part of it. So,
0: yeah, it's that's, that's amazing. I mean, you know, when you're talking about it, it can feel like a job, I guarantee you for Florida Georgia line, it feels like a job at times. Yeah. For sure. For ACDC, it felt like a job at times. Mm. Um, but that that questioning aspect of it, I don't think, is rare. Um, you know, for instance, the other day I was, you know, in in my own head and questioning like, is is leadership something that I'm meant for? Am I cut Mm. out for it? You know, I I think everyone does that. I'm pretty sure. That you know, Barack Obama would be sitting in the White House being like, Can I do this? Mm-hmm. You know, the po- most powerful man in the world. I bet, you know, I've never spoken to him, but I would bet there are times that he's doubting himself. Mm-hmm. But I think it's that, that moving past that doubt for sure and just sort of superseding that with your own personal grit, your ambition, and your faith in yourself in mm-hmm. the future, you know, sort of if you can supersede that. That doubt—that's when you, you know, become truly successful.
1: For sure, dude. Not yep. that I am
0: truly successful, but I think you're, you're, you're killing it. <laughs> I think the way to become there—I'm imagining—is you know that sort of a, a, a crucial step to getting there.
1: For sure. I was talking to one of my mentors um, who used to be a, a tour manager for a bunch of big country artists, and I was having a similar conversation with him where I was actually down that day, and I was like, "Man, it's, this is frustrating. This is frustrating me. I feel like." You know, I'm spinning my wheels. I feel like I'm not going anywhere, like blah, blah, blah. And he was like, I had a very similar conversation. He told me. I had a very similar conversation with so-and-so artist the night that their single hit number one in the country. Like, they were happy about that, but they were also like, but this and this and this, and this is down in the show tonight didn't go well. Like, he's like, I've had shows with artists in front of like 30,000 people, and they walk off stage saying like, man, am I I doing the right thing? Is this the right, like – so he's like, I think the – the moral of the story is, like, everybody thinks that. Even the most successful people. Um, the most people that are in the positions that you want to be in are having the same thoughts that you are, probably. You know? Like, we're all just, like, we're all just people. We all have the same ups and downs. Like, I kind of believe that that no one is really, like, that much, like, money and success. Like, that doesn't, like, that's not what elevates you to happiness. Because there's people that are that are rich that are, you know, have feel like they have the worst life ever. Or feel like they're, you know, depressed. And, and that that's just... That's not really the thing. Success isn't the thing that that is going to like make you happy, fulfill you. I think it's it's your mindset on the way, and it's your your knowing that you're heading in the right direction, or that you're giving it your all, or that you're that you're you know pursuing a dream. Is that really what that that satisfaction comes from? You know, at the end of the day, because the moments in the sun, the moments of like absolute success are, are few and far between in any job. You know, there's moments of glory and everything like even in music, there's moments of glory like that, that moment on stage where everyone claps after you're done. Or everyone loses their mind after the show. That's like a 30 second moment compared to the, you know, eight hours you drove to the venue the you know, two hours you spent on sound check, the hours and hours of rehearsal in between the, you know, sometimes the four hour show, the songs that didn't go well, the songs that went well. Um, the arguments, the, the whatever it was, the bus breaking down, all to get to that one 30-second moment of people applauding. Like if that's all that, if that's all that you live for, like you're going to spend a lot of time wanting and needing more because that's not that's, – that's the smallest part of the job. Um, you have to be able to have that same passion and that same drive-through through the, through the mediocre parts or the parts that are mundane or the parts that are challenging um, to really be happy full-time because otherwise I would be happy for like 30 seconds day which is not what I'm looking forward to you know like you want it to be some kind of sustainability on that like I think it's just it's in the grind and it's you know learning to love the grind and to love the work so
0: yeah people I I had a a conversation with my with my mom actually uh, two weeks ago and we're talking about happiness and I I believe that happiness itself is fleeting Mm -hmm. because when people talk about being happy happy well I think it helps to get very specific about what happiness is. Mm-hmm. Happiness is not the same thing as fulfillment. Mm-hmm. Right? What well, you're talking about, that happiness is that 30 seconds, mm-hmm. but that fulfillment is that that grind and that, you know, all those hours and all those things that you did to get there. That's fulfillment, that's meaning, mm-hmm. that's substance. That is what I've found and what I've tried to pursue, you know, cause that the happiness thing Okay, well, if I stub my toe, I'm not going to be very happy, mm-hmm. right? So, you know, no matter what you do, you're not always going to be happy. Mm-hmm. There are going to be those moments. But if you, if you can ask yourself, all right, so I'm unhappy right now. Do I work hard? Mm-hmm. Am I a good person? Am I pursuing something greater than myself? Am I constantly working to be a better person, which will be uh, impactful on the people around me, which will be impactful the entire world Mm -hmm. if the answer is yes then okay well I might not be happy in this very moment but I'm on the right path for sure it's like Jordan Peterson speaks about if you know a thousand people which with social media you know all of us know way more people Mm -hmm. especially you you have amazing outreach I see you you know if you can impact a thousand people in a positive way well what if you impact them positively enough where they go and impact a thousand people Mm -hmm. in a positive way that's a thousand people for sure and a, or not a thousand that's a million people yeah. sorry a thousand times a thousand is a million math is hard um, that's a million people you know so if a million people are able to live better lives you know you, you never know no one's going to reach out to you and say hey you impacted this person in a positive way which mm-hmm. they impacted me in a positive way thank you that's probably not going to happen yeah but if we can all sort of live that way I think that will trickle down to everyone and everything will be just better
1: for sure. For sure. And I think uh, it's it's cool to see people, some people in our generation kind of, you know, taking charge on that. And I feel like there's a a sense um, sometimes that, that, that we do want to improve ourselves and we want to, we don't want to be stuck in, in, in like a mundane situation. I feel like our generation is very like antsy. Like we want to like go get stuff and we want to go uh, make a change and make a difference. And I really appreciate that um, about, you know, kind of what's going on right now. And I think that uh I think that you're right, man. I think that it's it's a lot about the in between times and trying to make those trying to get those as you know as consistent as possible and not just chasing like that happy moment because like I said, it's not always the majority of the time. So but yeah, if you can impact if you can impact people and and enact change like that, like you said, like a thousand people, they enact a thousand people or they empower a thousand people, like it's just gonna trickle down. So
0: when you, you know, talk about meaning and, and substance. I I am sort of a musician, I mm-hmm. guess. I DJ and have played bass and I've been in bands and am like a B minus B <laughs> singer, um, but I've never written my own songs. Mm-hmm. So I, one would assume that there is a lot of sort of empowerment behind writing and performing your own songs. For sure. What is the vibe like playing you know a song that you wrote like Carolina Tonight mm-hmm. or is it uh, Red White and Blue? Yeah. Um, playing those songs on stage versus playing a uh, cover song. What's the difference between that?
1: Honestly, and I'll I'll be honest about this, um, because this, is, this might not be a typical answer, but it depends on the environment that I'm in. Um, there'll be times, and I might sound like a jerk, or I might sound like, I guess, unappreciative of this, but there'll be times where um, I feel like I should play an original song, but I don't want to, because it's like, we'll be in the middle of a packed house on a Saturday night, been playing covers all night, selling liquor, like everybody's loving it to where if I, if I know if I play one of my songs as much as I want to from my heart, sing songs that I'm like connected to. And that I wrote, like, I know that it's going to be bad for the situation. Like I know that it's going to, it might, you know, as good as a song, I could have, could be tomorrow's number one hit, but if people don't know it, it might not go over well, especially on Broadway or somewhere where there's so high competition that if you play something that someone doesn't know every word to, they're gonna leave. Like, so it's kind of an interesting breakdown because there's times where I'm like, Man, I really like really wanna play original music. Like I'm sick of the covers. And that's a lot of it, a lot of the times like that, where I'm like, I just wanna play my own stuff. I wanna play songs that I love, that I have written and that I'm passionate about, and I'm sick of singing all these other people's songs. And then there'll be other times where I feel so guilty because I'll be playing on these covers and I'll have um, some fans come in that want to hear a bunch of original stuff. Um, and they're just like, hey, play this original, this original. And uh, I'll try to oblige as much as possible. But I feel so bad because I just sometimes I just can't. And and sometimes I just I'd also sometimes I don't want to because I know that it's not going to be the best thing for the other 400 people in the bar who don't know that song or don't, not familiar with it, and it's not going to be the best thing for their experience. And so it's a really an interesting breakdown. And uh, and it's, at the end of the day, I want to be playing my own music and songs that I've written. Um, and that's what I want to be doing. And That's what I'm most passionate about. Um, but there's other times where, like, if I've, like, I put Carolina Knight out oh, over a year ago. And so there's times where I'm so sick of some of those songs that, I would rather not play them because I'm like, I'm not in that song right now. I'm not like, I can't, it'd be hard for me to fake it for these people who've never heard it before. And then then, and then there's sometimes where I'm like, man, all I want to do is play these songs. I just want to share these with the new crowd. So it, it goes back and forth. Um, it's not as cut and dry as like I would think it would be where it's like, oh, I just want to, I don't ever want to play covers. I just want to play my own stuff. I'll play my own stuff. Ultimately, what I really, really want is for the experience to be the best and I want it to be. Um, for that environment, I want that the, – the people in the audience to have the best experience. And so, for example, like if I'm doing a cover show in a bar, I think what's best for the experience is to play songs that people are going to know and then, and then play some of mine in between when it's appropriate and when they seem hungry for – when they want to hear that. Um, and then there's times where, you know, you play an original show where you're opening for someone or you're playing a writer's round or things – or, or shows where people are hungry for original music in um, those times it's so rewarding to play the original stuff or something you've written so it kind of goes back and forth and you know some musicians or people might not be happy to, to hear that but you know I think there's a time and place for everything you know and uh, and what, what really makes me happy and what gets me going is, is when the audience is having a great time and they're having a good and positive experience or something they're going to remember you know because you put two bands back and back to back and you know we play one can play a bunch of originals and they'll be oh yeah they they were cool uh you know they may or may not remember the name and then you put another band and then they play all covers they're gonna be more people dancing to the cover band and they might it's 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 back and forth who's gonna get the most out of the show you know um because there's times where if you bore a bunch of people or or play a bunch of stuff people don't want to hear they're not gonna remember you they're not gonna remember that experience but if you give people an awesome time they're gonna, I think, in my opinion, be more inclined to to follow you or or like, oh, what is this about? Like, I had a good time. What is this? You know, what is this band about? Do they have anything else? Do they have originals. So, I guess that's the theory, at least. <laughs> that's that
0: thought. Actually, right before you said that, popped into my head. You know, how often does someone say this guy's killing this the middle by Jimmy e. World? Mm-hmm. You know, then they Google you or they look you up on Instagram and they go, oh wow, he's got original stuff, and mm-hmm. then they become a fan in that sense.
1: Yeah, and for me, it's more of like, I thought when I first started playing a bunch of road shows, it would be like, oh, every time I go, I'll get like a bunch of fans, and the next time I come, they'll all come and bring their friends, and it's like, people don't discover music like that anymore, unfortunately. Like, people like find new music on the internet. Like, back in the day, what what you have to do to build a fan base is you just have to tour, 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 and people found new music at concerts. Some people still do, but the majority of the people... Don't do that anymore. They find music on Spotify playlists, or, or the internet, or you know YouTube, or whatever it is. And so it's it's interesting now. I've kind of repositioned myself, thinking like I'm not gonna like necessarily get if I'm in front of 500 people, you know, 100 people aren't gonna go follow me right after. They're not gonna go, you know, oh I need to check out the original music. But what I'm more interested in is like just getting that name recognition and that brand recognition and that having people predisposition to liking what I'm doing. If, in fact, they do see my video come up on Instagram or if they do see my song come up on a Spotify playlist. So I'm just trying to, like, set myself up for when those opportunities come that they'll they're already, be, already be familiar. Or, like, when they see, like, for example, let's say I do I get a record deal and I'm on the radio and they say, you know, they play the song. And that was the new one from new artist Jerry Jacobs. And people say, wait, wait, I, did I see that sounds familiar? I think I saw him play in Nashville. I think I saw him play at Junior St. Louis. Like, that's crazy. And then those people are going to be, at that moment, are going to be way more willing to go check out, oh, what is this about? Let me go check out this song. So I'm just trying to set myself up for that right now, is, is, is you know, put in the work so when something does pop, we'll already have infrastructure, we'll have brand recognition, we'll have some sort of band base willing to, to latch on to it. So, because ultimately in country music, radio is still king. Um, Which is, I think, surprising to a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And radio is still king. And the only way to get on the radio is to have a major record deal. Bearing some crazy circumstance, like Bobby Bones hears your stuff, likes it, plays it. Very rarely does it happen. And so you really have to, to, to reach my goals, I really have to set myself up um, for that. And so basically what I'm trying to do now is, you know, build up my fan base and, and get to the point where I think that if something does pop, I'll have support behind it. Um, that all goes back to all the stuff you were talking about, like, you know, playing covers versus originals and just giving people a good experience. And it's kind of similar to what you do in the bar too, right? It's like you're trying to make the experience the best as possible. It might not always be like some crazy cool event that you're throwing, but if it's just a, it's a Saturday night and people are having a great time at 10 Roof and they see 10 Roof and they go to another city and there's another 10 Roof. I mean, it's just brand recognition and building up that people, you know, relate 10 Roof to good time or great experience. Same thing. People relate know my band or my music too oh that was such a fun night or that was such a cool you know cool show so
0: thank first of all thank you Mm -hmm. um yeah that that makes me think of i was i was pretty happy because um a dating app had reached out and they just called the bar Mm -hmm. and i was at work and the bartender said hey it's uh it's his dating app they want to talk to you about a party Mm -hmm. what the hell okay so i took the phone and they just wanted to throw a party they're like Mm. we want to bring 300 people by invite all the people that have this app in the area Mm. we'll market it to them we want to buy a bunch of drinks and tip the bartenders and just have a good time and that made me really happy because i didn't reach out to them Mm -hmm. i didn't really do the work for that specifically but the work that we put in as a team to have a reputation for having a great crew, Mm -hmm. nice bartenders, great entertainment, great vibe, great decor, good management, um, you know, in in an environment where, you know, do you think this dating app would have called us if we had a reputation where maybe women felt uncomfortable Mm -hmm. or maybe, you know, the bouncers were overly aggressive. If we had that reputation, they wouldn't have reached out because they didn't know the market. So they Mm -hmm. had to do some sort of market research. They Mm -hmm. had to ask people. They had to search and based on what they found, we were a spot that they would feel comfortable bringing a bunch of young single people to party. Mm-hmm. Um, so that made me really proud. Yeah, for sure. Because that, you know, those, those long days are that, those changing light bulbs or that extra hour of training for a crew member, all these different things, or, you know, just reaching out to double confirm a date that we have with you on the books, mm-hmm. these sort of things that you don't get that return right away. Mm-hmm. You no, know, it's like, all right, we're, we've got a good business.
1: Yeah, right? for sure. For sure. And that's awesome for you guys. And I'm sure that that's, you know, the first of many that you guys are going to get. I'm sure it will continue. But yeah, just those little details all go into the big picture of people just thinking, this was a this is a place where I want to have my event. And this is a place where I want to go watch a game. And this is a place where we should go party after we go to this concert or we should go out on a Saturday night. Yeah. And I think that all those little details and stuff you're we talking about. You know, I'll go into that. Trying to wrap it back up here because I know we rambled a little bit to like <laughs> off topic, but all this goes. I mean, I know this is mainly for like you said for bar patrons and 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 people that work in bars, which is pretty much everybody. I mean, pretty much everybody goes to bars, um, and I think that uh, I think that what's cool to remember is that um, that there is a bunch of work going in behind the scenes, and people are trying to you know make this experience for the most part. If it's a well run bar, it's trying to make this experience as good for you as they possibly can, um, you know, which when you go into, it changed my perspective when I go into bars now and something's not going well as well, like, like the, you know, the food is taking a long time or, or it is, or like the drink service is is slower than you think it should be, or the, you know, the sound or the lights or the band isn't, you know, performing up to what you think it should be like, like no one's, usually people are like, are trying to make it good for you. There's very rarely are people like have a horrible attitude or trying to make it a bad experience for the customer um absolutely and so that's just cool to keep in mind that's kind of changing my perspective that when i'm when something isn't you know when i am not having like the best time something goes wrong like hey like there's a lot going on here you know there's a lot of moving parts that all have to work perfectly for you not to notice that anything is you know going wrong because usually there's always something going wrong yeah it's it's, (laughs) It's always one or two things it's it's like it's like a child in a way Mm -hmm.
0: it's like there's always something always something to catch up on Dog, you have no idea how hard it is for me if I'm in a bar and I see, like, all the employees on their cell phones. Oh, yeah. Or if I'm at a bar waiting for a drink and someone's, like, texting or on oh, Instagram, gosh, yeah. I'm like, I'm not I'm not your GM. I'm not your leader, but I'm still going nuts right now.
1: <laughs> you should have a little GM cap that you put on. Like, okay, I'm the, I'm the GM now. Here we go.
0: <laughs> we, we should do that. If any uh, other GMs or operation managers are out there, if we want to establish a system like that hmm. where, like, we have a stick – and, you know, we can just help each other out if we notice stuff like that.
1: Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you should do a series where it's like, like you know, where's the undercover boss, but you don't actually work there. And, like, you just, like, we go in for 10 minutes and you see all things wrong and you start correcting it without mm-hmm. asking anybody for permission to do so. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Follow Shirley by me getting kicked the yeah, fuck yeah,
1: out. Yeah, <laughs> be the best part. And what unique way you get kicked out every week.
0: <laughs> I'm like, hey, man, I was just changing the color of the light bulbs. I thought red would have would, looked really good there, man.
1: that would be awesome that'd be awesome
0: what uh you know being on stage you notice things that no one else does because you're high up and you see everyone you know for sure what are some really sort of funny things that you notice you know watching the patrons them dancing you know specifically sort of the advancement of the night because what's going on at 10 p.m versus 2 a.m that's that's two different animals right
1: absolutely it's a it's definitely progression and it's fun to watch People loosen up and lighten up because usually, if you start a four hour set, there's we rarely start with people on the dance floor already. They're usually like lining the back. There might be a couple people in the crowd, but your first couple songs um, are important to get people on the floor. And then you could see that happen like, you start everyone's just kind of chilling, and then at some point, something happens and people flip that switch. I don't know if it's drink number two or after you finish drink number one, or people start getting a little. Pip and start letting loose a little bit and uh that's really fun to watch. And it's especially fun to watch people celebrating something, like a birthday party or a bachelorette party or like a girls' weekend, or it's funny to see people who like have something to celebrate and how that goes the night and how like the person they're celebrating gets, you know, drunker and drunker as the night goes on. And there's always one other person who's always getting more drunk than the person they're celebrating that they have to babysit. And it's fun. It's honestly, it's fun to watch. Uh, bachelorette parties are, are an interesting, interesting thing to watch. Just like the the dichotomy of how it works, and like the social setup of a bachelorette party is always funny. Um, feels like you know the, the bride is always having a good time. There's always like the the you know the best friend of the bride who's like the maid of honor, and then they're partying, and there's like always one person getting too drunk that someone's having to babysit. Same thing with the bachelor party. Someone Bachelors tried. having a good time. Bachelor's best friends usually good. There's one guy who's way too drunk, causing problems. It's like it's <laughs> always this weird. It's like a, like like they're typecast. There's roles in every mm. bachelorette party or bachelor party or birthday party that everyone like just ends up playing. It's hilarious to watch. <laughs> so. It's
0: like a casting director. All right, well we need the drunk best friend. Like dude, I'm in. For sure. All right, you're. All right, who's gonna cry tonight? Who's the crier? gonna? <laughs> yeah. Who's gonna cry? The guy's who's <laughs> fighter.
1: Who's the guy who's gonna <laughs> fight someone for no reason at all?
0: Yeah. You know? You know you know one thing too is the the vibe and the culture of the establishment really dictates how the guests interact for sure and how and you wouldn't expect that because no. people are people right you mm-hmm. you would naturally think you as a person you act how you act no matter sort of where you go but it's really not the case mm-hmm. um, I think we are blessed and I'm, I'm very very thankful that we have a very I call it a chill party bar mmm we are in that's not to say that we're not high energy because mm-hmm. we're very fucking high energy, but you know, we're unpretentious as mm-hmm. a, as a team and our musicians Our just whole vibe. is unpretentious. It's fun. It's relaxed. Um, I, when I was uh, in Tinder, San Diego, I saw our Google, our description was unpretentious shotgun shack bar. Yeah. And I was like, I don't know if I like shack bar, but unpretentious. I mean, that's, that's When I interview people, I describe us that way. Mm-hmm. So we are the type of establishment, my tin roof. And I think pretty much every tin roof, because mm-hmm. us as GMs, one, we're all psychos. Mm-hmm. Two, we're all sort of like the same in sort of ways, you know, our approach and, mm-hmm. and our vibe. But yeah, we, uh, we have that chill vibe and the guests just kind of buy into it. Versus I've been at bars where that's not the culture mm-hmm. and that's not the vibe. And I'm seeing fights left and right Mm -hmm. and I'm just I'm just getting a weird vibe from and Mm -hmm. I think it's people subconsciously sort of buy into it Mm -hmm. you know if you see two bartenders looking pissed off or yelling at each other or just not giving a crap or doing shots behind the bar Mm -hmm. it's going to change your connotation of that establishment versus if you see if you know two bartenders goofing around you know i don't mean not working but like mm. having fun or like dabbing on each other mm-hmm. you know just having a good time you sort of buy into that for sure and when i you know i go behind the bar quite a bit um you know once to sort of get out of the crowd and check on the crew see how everyone's doing mm-hmm. but i'll go back there and generally i'm being goofy and i'm dancing back there mm-hmm. or i'm like grabbing ice and like throwing it or like you know like getting the guests involved Mm -hmm. you know that sort of vibe i think attributes to that sort of chill that chill vibe that we have where you know that's why we're successful that's why we have 17 locations that's why we're expanding so rapidly i think it's i mean it's as we talked about so many aspects to it Mm -hmm. but the base is that culture for sure that culture is what sets the tone and what makes you happy to Assumably, be happy to be on our stage Mm -hmm, to to come up to St. Louis because you know you're not going to walk into an exceptionally stressful environment.
1: Yeah, for sure, absolutely, and I think that and I've played obviously played a lot of bars at this point, and you can see that even from how people interact with the band on stage, it's very dramatically different in different bars. Like we used to play, I won't name any names, but there's a bar that I played a lot when I first moved to town, and um, and the bouncers were just rude i mean they were rude from the first moment you walked in the door you were people were rude to you and then the bartenders were rude and then the management was rude i mean it was like there, there was there was there was conflict at every moment i'm sorry we all can hear my dogs running around in the background here <laughs> but there was there's was always it puts you on edge constantly and then people reacted accordingly to the band like they were you know absolute assholes to us on stage like yelling out interrupting stuff like heck pretty much heckling is is the best way to describe it constantly yelling free bird all the time um, if anyone
0: out there is listening stop doing
1: that seriously yeah the free bird thing and it, it's just it's become like a culture thing and um, I know for some people like it it drives me nuts it, it, could, it could, you can be funny but it's to the point now where it's just like douchey like if you're yelling free bird i am kind of that's one of those things we're talking about taking responsibility for things that used to be my pet peeve when people yelled "freebird" and like i hate it i get so pissed now when people what i've done to combat that when people yell free bird now i have a whole like bit of jokes that i will do to roast them on the microphone as much as possible until they stop and like and it's become a fun part of the show like almost like people don't yell "freebird" at our shows very often anymore fortunately i think we've like we've we've done some things to try to eliminate that but one thing someone does yell Freebird, we're almost excited. Like Xana we are like, Jerry, you're here to yell Freebird, say do the jokes, do the jokes. And we'll just like roast them until like everyone's laughing at them and they stop. And usually they laugh too. Usually it's like it's all lighthearted stuff. Like there's a couple things I'll say, like if someone yells freebird, I'll be like, Hey Freebird guy's here tonight. You might recognize him. He's the manager of the local Crocs outlet. You know, you need a discount, go hit him up, and like little stuff like that. I've got like a whole thing about where, you know, it's a it's a it's a way to a. Ad- address that objection without mm. like making it makes him stop yelling Freebird, but it also isn't like you never want to project negativity over the microphone. Um and I'm you know, everyone's guilty of it sometimes, but you never want to project negativity or conflict. You always want to be like, hey, everything's good. You know, you wanna keep the party going and so funny little things like that. But people don't yell Freebird at most of the bars we play now because mm. we try not to play the Freebird yelling bars, you know, and or like heckling or, you know, um that's stuff that's stuff all starts at the front door, I think. Um, some of it obviously people are going to be people but you know it's a lot more common at certain bars and I think it just goes down to all that subconscious stuff you're we talking about like the way you're treated from the moment you walk in and uh, you know and the way you're received and the way you, you perceive the bar and the environment that you're in you know kind of affects how you are it's like nature versus nurture people are the way they are but you know you're also a product of your environment and your surroundings even on a micro level like you walk into you know you walk into one room and you feel a certain way, you walk into another room, and you feel a, certain, a different way or one bar or another bar, you know? Yeah. It's
0: like people, you know, people bring out different sides of you, mm-hmm. you know, the conversations that you and I have, I really, really enjoy, mm-hmm. you know, for instance, anytime I come down to Nashville, I always make it a priority to reach out and, you know, try to get coffee because there are always <laughs> ambitious conversations mm-hmm. about growth and positivity. And, you know, I always feel good when I walk away from our conversations, I feel better as an individual. Versus they're individuals that I, yeah. you know, walk away from a conversation. I'm like, Jesus fucking Christ, that was fucking brutal. <laughs> I'm like, like, I don't want to talk that, you know. Yeah, so, yeah. You know, But then a, that affects your mood. But you know, it's funny you're talking about, you know, Freebird guy, that Crocs line. Yeah. Is hilarious. Because <laughs> when we closed up like two nights ago, there was like one guy at the end of the night mm. that, you know, was just like the one lagger We're like, come on, buddy, it's time to go. Mm. He's walking out. Good looking dude in good shape. has got like some nice pants on cool t-shirt bright yellow fucking crocs <laughs> and we just saw her like yep. staring at this guy because <laughs> you know we're you know they're all behind the bar so mm. the bartenders don't notice until so he's walking out the door We're like
1: is that dude wearing crocs it's a saturday night yeah i mean and i uh, sorry i don't mean to offend any crocs wearers out there <laughs> uh, i'm <mean, laughs> offend you a little bit just a little bit um <laughs> but crocs are great for if you're like in a kayak mm. <laughs> Like I'm not gonna make fun of you for having crocs on. If you're on a boat, also not gonna make fun of you for having crocs on. Water park, maybe. What are you doing in the water park? You're an adult. Get out of there. But any other scenario, I don't see how crocs are a good good choice. So I hate to offend any uh, diehard Crocs fans out there. But uh, if you're a diehard crocs fan, you probably don't have the internet or don't listen to podcasts. So um probably not stepping on too many, too many toes here. And if I were, they would be covered in crocs, so they'd be safe, right?
0: Yeah, I mean, Post Malone <laughs> made some Crocs. He like released his own series of Crocs. Posty, if you're listening, I'll I'll wear your Crocs if you want to send those over. Just read, just DM me, and I'll yeah. send you my address.
1: Yeah, uh, yeah. Sorry if I offended Post Malone. I don't feel like he cares though what people think <laughs> about him. If you once you get face tattoos, all this all this fair game. I think good for them. That's so much. Confidence. If you don't, if you like your face tattoos, that's awesome. But I think like at that point, you're like. At that point where you don't care what people think which is awesome which is so cool i wish i cared less about what people think but
0: you know who's really good at that sort of positive heckling is scott
1: yeah scott is.
0: kills it our buddy scott porter uh another musician he's phenomenal go check him out he uh, when hecklers i remember one time he uh, made a joke, if anyone's got a crossbow, if they want to shoot that guy <laughs> in the neck. <laughs> and, like, there were, like, cops, like, walking through or, like, walking by that, like, stopped and were, like, can you tell him not to say that? <laughs> like, he's, like, really good at, like, you yeah. know, kind of quipping people in that humorous aspect. So that's, that's his personality. Like, he's just.
1: He's super dry and super sarcastic. He's <laughs> Scott Serious. By the way, Scott Porter is his name. Go check out Scott Porter on Instagram at S. Porter Music. I think it's his Instagram. He just put out a new single on Spotify that I co wrote with him. So it's shameless self promotion kind of. Go check it out. Go buy a million copies of it. But yeah, Scott's hilarious. He plays a lot of acoustic gigs um, and he's really good at that. He's kind of perfected that three, four hour acoustic set and being able to, you know, um, to work with crowds like that and play exactly what they want to hear and also deal with people with objections. We always have, we always love when we get to play with Scott. Like sometimes he'll be, he'll play the acoustic set before us Mm. and we'll play will play after him we we always love those it's always fun so thank louis needed too
0: yeah 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 he's the man i love that guy and he uh you know in in certain ways just doing the acoustic stuff is more difficult than a full band for sure because you don't have all that behind you you really have to make the show and he does a phenomenal job Mm -hmm. one he utilizes that loop pedal in a phenomenal way Mm -hmm. um you know in you can have a loop pedal and just not Utilize it properly, yeah. right? But he does a fantastic job. He's got great songs, great energy. So yeah, as you said, I mean, he's almost sort of perfected that acoustic style, which is, it's, it's more nerve wracking in a way because sure. if you fall short, your guitarist isn't going to make up nope. for you, right? Your drummer, you know, there are bands that have killer drummers. Mm-hmm. Um, not to say that the other musicians aren't up to par, but mm-hmm. the drummer's phenomenal. I have a friend that calls it the Blink One Eighty Two Theory. Mm-hmm. If, if the theory is if you've got a good drummer you're already way ahead of everyone else. Mm-hmm. And I've heard that there's a of conno- not a connotation, a, uh, a sort of adage in Nashville, if you've got a great drummer, do whatever you can to keep him. Yeah, so yeah, for you. sure.
1: Well, I mean, I am I'm, I'm no, don't know if I've heard that, but it's hard to get it's hard to get a good drummer. I mean, I'm very blessed to have Chuck Miracle who plays drums for I me. Mean, he's freaking amazing. Chuck, he's the best. Yeah, man. he's awesome. But yeah, it just goes, to, goes down to, when you're playing acoustic, you don't have anything to hide behind. If you're having an off night, there's no one to, to pick up the slack. It's just you. Like, yeah. if I'm having an off night... Like if I'm tired or like I've had a bad day or like my energy is down a little bit, like there's three other guys on stage to, to pick it up for me or to encourage me or to even – not even just to, to make up for it but to, to get me encouraged. To, that's really the big thing is like to, to pump me up. I think we all feed off each other. So okay. when you're up there by yourself, there's no one to feed off of except the crowd. So it can be it can be tough. And uh, so kudos to Scott for doing an awesome job with that as, as always. So
0: yeah, I'll have to have him on the podcast at some point.
1: He would be a great guest. It would be a great. We should do a three way one with him one time because he's very like theoretical and like calculated about stuff too. And he's got he's got a lot of like you know theories about success and stuff that I think are you know effective and that we would both agree with. So
0: (laughs) we would, dude. We would go on such a tangent. Oh my gosh, like yeah. (laughs) We drove from Memphis to Nashville, him and I, and I plan on sleeping because I didn't like sleep at all the night before. We just talked the entire time. Mm -hmm. So, but yeah, we'll start uh, finishing up here. So, a couple fun little questions. So, what is your drink of choice if you're at a bar? You can only drink one drink the rest of your life. What's that gonna be?
1: Oh, the rest of my life. Um Night, day, brunch,
0: late night, whatever.
1: I'm gonna go super basic here. Usually, if I'm drinking, it's a it's for utility, like vodka, Red Bull. Because most of the time when I'm drinking, it's because it's because I'm playing a show. You know what I mean? Like, it's not often I get a chance to just to chill and and just have a drink. It's usually like at work, so. The one that works for me is Spock ripple because I'm get, getting pumped up before a show. But if I had to drink one drink the rest of my life, like old Fashioned, that's like my, that's my chill drink.
0: There you go. Old I, fashioned. That's actually the same for me. Yeah yeah? yeah? yeah. It used to be mimosas and then my body started like oh, failing yeah. me and getting heartburn with all the OJ.
1: Oh, so yeah, old fashioned. And so, champagne is, a uh, champagne is not the best for you the next day. Oh, dude, brutal. <laughs> um, if you were to open a bar, what would you name it? Oh, what would I name it? Actually, I actually had a dream as a kid. I wanted to be, like, after I, like, did my music thing, I wanted to have, like, a, for some reason in Boston, I wanted to open a bar in Boston that was, like, a venue on the bottom floor and then a recording studio on the next floor. And then the top floor would be, like, my, my like, penthouse apartment. But I don't know what I would call it. So um, what would I call a bar that I opened up? Some kind of trendy name for a venue. I don't know. I've got one for you. You do? Yeah. What is it? Jerry's Jukebox. Jerry's Jukebox. There you go. There you go. Jerry's Jukebox. I like that. Or someone with Jacobs Jacob ladder or something like that. Yeah. Last name. <laughs> be like, Yo, going down to J J B tonight, you coming? Yeah. My my uh my bass player wants to open a bar. His name's Zant. He wants to open I think Zanzibar Bar. He wants called Zanza Bar and have like Zanzibar. and like have like a pizza shop attached to it. So like he's trying to get all my money. You uh-huh. come party and drink all and then like you're drunk and you pizza and he'll sell you the pizza as well he's trying to like have a total monopoly on it i appreciate
0: that you should also have like a little side business in like the alley where he's selling xanax
1: yeah Zanax, <laughs> there you go there you go might as well put a hotel on the top of it like
0: it's on couple you never leave yeah yeah, yeah for sure You've got your weed your xanax your pizza your beer yeah your bed all that stuff that's everything stuff. <laughs> um awesome so anyone listening out there if they want to follow your music they want to see your upcoming tour dates you know or they just want to sort of know what what you got going on how can they find you
1: um instagram at jerry allen jacobs j-e-r-r-y-a-l-a-n-j-a-c-o-b-s or my website um i need to do a better job of keeping it up to date but jerryjacobsmusic.com facebook just look up jerry jacobs all that stuff man um just come to a show that's the best place where listen on spotify itunes i know you guys aren't gonna buy the music go listen to spotify and uh <laughs> yeah and if you like the songs come see a show
0: Start buying merch once the merch comes out.
1: There you go. We have some merch. The biggest problem with merch is find someone to sell it. Mm. Cause we only have a four-person crew. So.
0: Well, any aspiring merch salesman out there, yeah. salesmen, saleswomen.
1: Hit us up. If you're ever in a, at a show and you want to get in for free and have, get a couple free drinks, all you got to do is sell merch. So, Sell merch during the show. So, Hit us up on Instagram. Come do it. Come sell merch. <laughs> awesome. All right.
0: I'll talk to you later. Jared.